If I were to ask you to make a list of some of the giants of faith in the Bible, many of you would probably turn to Hebrews chapter 11. And there you would find the names listed of such people as Enoch and Noah, Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Jacob, and many others. Now, of course, in Hebrews 11, the writer's intent was to give just some examples of God's faithful servants. There's no indication this was meant to be an exhaustive list. In other words, just because a person is not mentioned there does not mean that their example of faith was unimportant or that it was unrecognized by God. Today, I'd like to focus on one man who was a crucial leader of the Israelites, but whose name does not appear in the faith chapter. Nevertheless, God spoke personally to this man on several occasions. He even saw, this man even saw from afar the form of the God of Israel upon Mount Sinai. Though he is mentioned over 300 times in the Old Testament, his name appears just five times in the entire New Testament. And it is unlikely that most of us would think to list this man's name on our list of the giants of faith found in the Bible. The man I'd like to focus on today and in my next sermon, it's a two-parter, is not Moses. He is listed in the faith chapter. Today, we'll focus on a man whom one of the psalmists was inspired to refer to as, quote, the saint of the Lord, end quote. That man is Aaron, the brother of Moses. And the title for today's sermon is this, Aaron, the saint of the Lord, part one. Now, some might question whether Aaron deserves to be listed among heroes of faith, especially since he's not included in Hebrews 11. After all, some of Aaron's actions disappointed God and demonstrated a lack of faith in God's power and leadership, and that's very true. Yet, Moses also disappointed God on a few occasions. We remember those. And few would question his inclusion in the list of heroes of faith. Let's turn to Psalm 106, please. Psalm 106. Aaron's role in the Exodus and the leadership of the Israelites is significantly overshadowed by the central leadership role played by his brother Moses. Yet here in Psalm 106, both brothers are listed together as God's chosen leaders of the Israelites at the time of the Exodus. They were a team. Doesn't mean they had the same authority. One worked to support the other. We'll start in verse 7 of Psalm 106. Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders, referring to God. They did not remember the multitude of your mercies, but rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake. Sometimes God's people are saved simply for the fact that it would reflect badly on God himself if they were to perish. He, God, saved them for his name's sake, that he might make his mighty power known. He rebuked the Red Sea also, and it dried up. So he led them through the depths as through the wilderness. He saved them from the hand of him who hated them and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. The waters covered their enemies. There was not one of them left. Then they believed his words. They sang his praise but soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tested God in the desert. And he gave them their requests, but sent leanness to their soul. In verse 16, when they envied Moses in the camp and envied Aaron, the saint of the Lord. Right, let's pause there. That word saint means sanctified 
or made holy, set apart for holy purpose. And it says here that the Israelites envied Moses, the leader, and Aaron. And Aaron is given this special title, the saint of the Lord, the sanctified one. Verse 17, the earth opened up and swallowed Dathan and covered the faction of Abiram. A fire was kindled in their company. The flame burned up the wicked. And notice verse 19, because when people think of Aaron, this usually is one of the first things that comes to their mind. They made a calf, C-A-L-F, in Horeb and worshipped the molded image. Thus they changed their glory into the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, awesome things by the Red Sea. Therefore he said that he would destroy them, had not Moses his chosen one stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he destroy them. So at that point, God was ready to just wipe them out. And Moses intervened. Now, did you notice that reference to the golden calf? We'll talk about that episode a little bit later in the sermon. But we all know that Aaron was actively involved in making that idol for the Israelites. He played a central role in that sin. And yet, the psalmist refers to Aaron as the saint of the Lord, the Holy One of the Lord. Now, how can someone who creates a false idol for people to worship be considered a saint of the Lord? Well, as we examine the life of Aaron, we'll get to the answer to that question. But I'd like just to focus on four lessons that we can draw from Aaron's life and consider how his experiences can apply to our calling today to serve God as his people and fellow saints of the Lord. Because that's the title that God gives us, saints of the Lord. So today we'll examine the first two of these lessons, and I'll address the remaining two in my next sermon. But I'll give you a preview and let you know what they're going to be. Okay? So lesson number one. God prepares his saints in advance for the duties that he wishes them to fulfill. God prepares his saints in advance for the duties he wishes them to fulfill. Lesson two, which we'll also get to today. Sometimes God's saints fall short of their calling requiring them to repent and to recommit to serving God properly. Sometimes God's saints fall short of their calling, requiring them to repent and to recommit to serving God properly. Lesson three, we'll get to next time. Sometimes God's saints face tremendous trials, but they must not allow those trials to weaken their faith in God. And lesson four, God's saints are only holy because of God's grace, not because of their own human worthiness or actions. So today, lesson one, God prepares his saints in advance for the duties that he wishes them to fulfill. We'll see that this is true for Aaron, it was true for Moses. It was true for all of those figures in the Bible with whom God worked. And it's also true for us, which is why we're here now. We are being chosen, set apart, and trained to serve God in the roles that he has prepared for us. Now, I don't know about you, but I've always found it easier to identify with the helpers in the Bible rather than the great leaders, such men as Abraham or Moses or Elijah or Daniel. They just seem so much larger than life. 
Most of us are not given the responsibility of being great leaders over multitudes in our lifetimes. But that does not mean that working faithfully in supporting roles is any less important in God's eyes. For every great leader that God appoints, there are dozens or hundreds or thousands of supporting helpers, faithful servants who carry out the day-to-day necessities of tending to the work of the church and caring for God's people. And these helpers are also chosen and appointed by God, just as Aaron was. Aaron's duties and responsibilities were not assigned to him by Moses, just because he was Moses' brother. This is not nepotism. Let's turn to Psalm 105. And we'll look at verses 23 to 27. And that's important to understand. It's something that the Israelites didn't quite get for a long, long time. Oh, okay. Moses and his brother Aaron. Working together to rule over us was their complaint. But we see here in Psalm 105 that Aaron was specifically chosen by God to become his first high priest of the tabernacle and to minister to God in that role. Psalm 105, verse 23. Israel also came into Egypt, and Jacob dwelt in the land of Ham. It sounds like a shop at the mall. I don't think I'd want to shop there, but that refers, of course, to Egypt. Verse 24. He increased his people greatly and made them stronger than their enemies. He turned their heart to hate his people to deal craftily with his servants. And verse 26, he, God, sent Moses, his servant, and Aaron, whom he had chosen, both of them specifically chosen from the beginning for this job, to go to Pharaoh, to lead God's people out of slavery. Let's look at Psalm 77 also in in verse 20. Psalm 77 and verse 20. You know, we tend to think of Moses being the man whom God used to lead the Israelites out of Egypt and through the wilderness. And he was certainly in the leading role. But in this psalm of Asaph, the psalmist states that God also led the Israelites through Aaron as well as through Moses. Verse 20. You, meaning God, led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. They were a team. God had specific duties that each would fulfill. Now, even though later Moses is referred to as a priest, he took on the role of the civil leader, right? The leader of the forces, the leader of the society. And eventually Aaron and his sons would be appointed to supervise the religious duties. Let's go to Micah 6. Micah 6. And we'll look at verses 3 through 4. Again, many people are surprised by this verse. Here the prophet Micah is inspired to write that all three siblings, Moses and Aaron and their sister Miriam, were personally appointed by God for the roles that they played in the Exodus events. You may remember that Miriam was referred to as a prophetess. Micah 6, verse 3. Oh, my people, what have I done to you, says God? And how have I wearied you? Testify against me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of bondage. And I sent before you, right, in advance, prepared in advance, I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. And we know that God had chosen Miriam to be the one to put Moses in the basket on the river and follow that basket to make sure it ended up in the household of Pharaoh. So all of these individuals from this chosen family played critical roles in the Exodus story and the developments after it. When we first encounter Aaron, he has already been contacted directly by God. 
and told to leave Egypt to find his brother Moses. So let's go to Exodus chapter 4. And we'll start here in verse 10. Now Moses is trying to get out of the responsibilities that God has chosen for him. Not very successfully. He wants somebody else to lead the Israelites out of Egypt and to go to Pharaoh. Exodus 4 and verse 10. Then Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent. Neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. The implication is that he had some sort of a speech impediment, and people have speculated what that might have been. But apparently he was not a great public speaker. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I, the Lord? Now this was no surprise to God. He was the creator. Verse 12. Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and teach you what you shall say. Don't worry about that. I'll take care of it. You trust in me, I'll sort that out. But he, Moses, said, O my Lord, please send by the hand of whoever whoever else you may send. Right? This was an excuse. I can't talk very well. I didn't have spokesman club. You got to do something. Find somebody else. Anybody else. I, I really don't want that responsibility. Now you have to remember, at this point, Moses is about 80 years old. Now most 80 year olds are not really interested in international travel and leading a nation, right? Of going before the leaders of foreign nations and telling them, thus says the Lord. So Moses is looking for somebody younger, maybe. But notice God's reaction, right? God's already offered to help him. Moses declines for the second time. No, no, no. You've got it wrong, God. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, is not Aaron the Levite your brother? He already knows the answer, yes. I know that he can speak well. Now, clearly God had already prepared Aaron for the role that he was going to fulfill. And look, he is also coming out to meet you. Guess what? (laughs) I've anticipated your complaint, and here comes your brother. Now, you don't just get from Egypt to the land of Midian overnight. God would have had to have sent Aaron some time before this. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. And I will teach you what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people. And he himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be to him as God. Now that's a, he's not saying you will be God, but it's like God and his word, right? His spokesperson. And so Aaron will speak for you. You, I will tell you what to say, you tell him what to say, and he better do what, say what you've told him. So why was Aaron coming to meet with Moses? Let's go down to verse 27. This is a little inset passage that seems to be referring to a prior point in the chronology. Exodus 4, 27. And the Lord said to Aaron, or had said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. Now, there aren't a whole lot of people in the Bible to whom God personally speaks, and we must make a note here, this is the God of Israel speaking, right? We're not saying the Father is saying this, but the one who would go on to become Christ. Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he's heard the voice of the God of Israel. So he went, just like Abraham went, right? He went on faith. Go out into the desert. Now, we don't know. Had he been in contact with Moses through the years? Moses had been in Midian for 40 years. Had they exchanged letters? Uh, Or was Moses undercover, like witness protection, trying not to be found out by the leaders of Egypt? 
but apparently, <laughs> he, Aaron knew where to go to find him, or God guided him. Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he, he went and met him on the mountain of God and kissed him. Right? Probably kiss on the cheeks. So Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord who had sent him and all the signs which he had commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he did the signs in the sight of the people. So the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked on their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. Right? They're worshipping God, not Moses and Aaron. So even before God uh, had appeared to Moses, it seems that God had apparently chosen Aaron to come and serve in this role and sent him out of Egypt to go find Moses. Let's go to Exodus 6. Exodus 6. We'll start in verse 28. See, God knew Aaron. He knew Aaron's talents and his abilities. And he knew that Aaron would make an eloquent spokesman to assist Moses. He was prepared by God in advance for the duties that God wished him to fulfill. And those duties would also include becoming the first high priest of God under the Old Covenant. Exodus 6, 28. And it came to pass on the day the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt that the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I am the Lord. Speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said, or had said before the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips, and how shall Pharaoh heed me? So the Lord said, or had said to Moses, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron your brother shall be your prophet. So here we see Aaron is actually referred to as a prophet, or at least that role of a prophet, because God will tell Moses and Moses will tell Aaron, and Aaron will go and speak the words of God to Pharaoh. You shall speak all that I command you to who? To Aaron. Like we often think, oh, Moses is told, speak all these words to Pharaoh. But who's going to do the speaking? It's Aaron. You shall speak all that I command you to your brother. And Aaron, your brother, shall tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of his land. Now that's a central and important role in the Exodus story. God knew that he was going to appoint Aaron as his first high priest. Now, in the Egyptian religious system, Pharaoh was not only king of the land, but he served as the ceremonial role of the highest priest of the Egyptian religion. So isn't it interesting, right? Here's Pharaoh who officiates at the most important religious festivals and dedications to the pagan gods of the Egyptian pantheon. And who is God choosing to go and talk directly to Pharaoh? It's Aaron, who will be his high priest, telling the Pharaoh that he should surrender the Israelites into the care of a different god, God Almighty. So we have these two high priests, although Aaron has not yet assumed that role, but God knows it's coming. Now, Aaron understood that although he was the older brother to Moses, God had chosen Moses to be over Aaron in authority. Aaron was to be a helper to his brother. He was to support Moses, sometimes literally. Let's go to Exodus 17. And we'll look at verses 8 through 13. Exodus 17. Now, Aaron might have resented being told to obey his younger brother. 
I'm sure many siblings would. Now, up until this point, he never voices that complaint. Later, though, we'll see an incident where that seems to be an issue for Aaron. But for right now, he's doing what God instructs him to do. Exodus 17, verse 8, he's going to be in a support role to Moses. Now Amalek came, the nation of Amalek, the Amalekites, came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, choose us some men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Now, many people have speculated, okay, well, Moses and Aaron make sense, uh, but who is this other man, Hur? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us for sure, uh, but Jewish tradition indicates that Hur was the husband of Miriam. So that's a possibility, and that would make sense, right, that God, again, is keeping this all in the family in terms of this leadership. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. Now remember, Moses is is 80. Even a younger man, any younger person, is going to have difficulty holding up that rod through an entire battle. Um, If you don't believe me, you can try it, not now, but at home tonight. (laughs) Take a baseball bat and hold it over your head for as long as you can and see what's that doing to your shoulder, right? It's a tough job. Verse 12, but Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone, right? Who did it? Aaron and her. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and her supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Now, Even that was quite a task for these two men to support the hands of Moses. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Again, this was a team effort. Aaron and Hur played the role of helpers to the man God had chosen to be the great leader of his generation. Now, I've I've often wondered, was this meant to be a lesson to Moses? Right? Because Moses goes out and says, I am going to do this. I am going to hold up this staff through the battle. And he finds out he needs helpers. God isn't going to suddenly give him the ability to do it all himself. He needs helpers. And God has provided those helpers for him. That's what helpers do. God's saints do not seek their own glory. But they seek to obey the will of their Lord and to carry out his instructions. Let's go to 1 Chronicles 23. 1 Chronicles 23. We'll start in verse 13. Actually, we'll only look at verse 13. When God calls someone, he sets them apart from the world. He directs them to set aside the life they might have led, in exchange for a life of obedience to God and service to God's people. Of course, God promises to richly reward his servants for doing that. 1 Chronicles 23 and verse 13. This is part of a genealogy with some commentary. So who were the sons of Amram, Aaron, and Moses? And Aaron was set apart. He and his sons forever. That word means sanctified, made holy. Aaron was set apart. He and his sons forever, that he should sanctify the most holy things, to burn incense before the Lord, to minister to him, and to give the blessing in his name forever. He was set apart from all the other Levites in that genealogy to take on the duties of high priest to God. 
and God had prepared him for that role probably for his entire life. Let's go to Revelation 1. Look at verses 4 through 6. Revelation 1. Aaron is not mentioned here directly, but we are. And like Aaron and his sons, God has appointed Christ's saints to become priests in his service in the age to come. We're being prepared for that role right now. Revelation 1, verse 4. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests, to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So just as Aaron and his sons were chosen under the old covenant to fulfill that role, so God is preparing us for a similar role under the new covenant. Now in the years following the Exodus, some of the Israelites challenged the leadership positions held by Moses and Aaron believing that they had a right to appoint themselves to important leadership positions over the nation. Let's go to Numbers 17. We'll start in verse 1. We'll see here that God has to, or chooses to, intervene with a miraculous sign to reaffirm to the Israelites that Aaron was indeed his choice to serve as high priest over Israel. It wasn't just because he was Moses' brother. He was chosen separately, specifically, for that responsibility of supporting Moses and the nation. Numbers 17 and verse 1, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and get from them a rod from each father's house. All their leaders, according to their father's houses, twelve rods, Write each man's name on his rod, and you shall write Aaron's name on the rod of Levi, for there shall be one rod for the head of each father's house. Then you shall place them in the tabernacle of meeting before the testimony, or the Ark of the Covenant, where I meet with you. And it shall be that the rod of the man whom I choose will blossom. Thus I will rid myself of the complaints of the children of Israel, which they make against you. So Moses spoke to the children of Israel, and each of their leaders gave him a rod apiece. For each leader, according to their father's houses, twelve rods. And the rod of Aaron was among their rods. And Moses placed the rods before the Lord in the tabernacle of witness. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses went into the tabernacle of witness And behold, the rod of Aaron of the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds, had produced blossoms and yielded ripe almonds. Then Moses brought out all the rods from before the Lord to all the children of Israel, and they looked, and each man took his rod. And the Lord said to Moses, Bring Aaron's rod back before the testimony to be kept as a sign against the rebels, that you may put their complaints away from me, lest they die. Thus did Moses, just as the Lord had commanded him, so he did. So you see that God has a special miracle here to confirm that Aaron is his choice to serve in that role as priest. God made it clear that Moses and Aaron were both leaders over Israel, because God chose them for those roles, not because they appointed themselves to those roles. God prepares his saints in advance for the duties that he wishes them to fulfill. So let's go on to lesson two. Lesson two, sometimes God's saints fall short of their calling, requiring them to repent and to recommit to serving God properly. Even the most loyal of God's servants can make mistakes. 
But when those in leadership roles mess up, they often do it big time. Let's go to Exodus 32. Because now we come to the episode of the golden calf. Exodus 32. And we'll start in verse 1. We'll spend some time in this passage. Now again, Aaron had personally spoken to the God of Israel and had heard God's voice. And now he makes an unfathomable blunder. But sometimes so do we. Exodus 32 at verse 1. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Now it's interesting, to whom do the people go? To Aaron. In the absence of Moses, they recognize Aaron as being the next in charge. And Aaron said to them, No way! (laughs) Wait. (laughs) That verse is missing. Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. Now that's not the response we would have expected after having heard the voice of God himself. He's willing to help the people in creating an idol. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand. And he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Then they said, notice, Aaron doesn't say this. He, he makes the idol, but he doesn't make this statement. They, the people, said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now, they're not actually, in their minds, creating a different God, right? Because they're saying, This is the image of the God that brought us up out of the land of Egypt. They're creating an image out of their own minds for what God might look like. But that's making an idol, right? You don't make an idol of anything from the heaven above or the earth beneath or the waters under the earth. This is your God that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now, in Egypt, the gods of Egypt were represented by many gods, and many of them were in the form of animals. So again, here's where their life experience is probably playing a role in their demand or their request. Verse 5, so when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Then they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Right? They're going to serve God in the way they decide should be done. So back up on the mountain, Moses is alerted. The Lord said to Moses, go get down. For your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. I've always found it interesting, at this verse, God doesn't refer to them as his people. <laughs> Moses, your people are messing up. Go down, take care of it. For they have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, right, back off, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them. And I will make of you a great nation. Verse 
Now that's an, an interesting verse. Because God may have meant it. He would technically have fulfilled the promises made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But many of the other tribes would not have been survivors. But he could also have meant it to see what Moses' reaction was. To feel out Moses. And Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people? Right? Your people, not mine. Whom you have brought out of the land. I didn't do it. (laughs) You have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Right? Moses humbles himself before God. It would have been easy to step right into that statement that God made and said, yeah, I led them out and look what they're doing. He doesn't. Why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains and consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham and Isaac and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have spoken of, I give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. And Moses turned and went down from the mountain. Moses has just saved everyone else's lives. Because God accepted his request for forgiveness for the nation. And Moses turned and went down from the mountain, and the two tablets of the testimony were in his hand. The tablets were written on both sides, and on the one side and on the other they were written. Now the tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, engraved on the tablets. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people, as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the noise of the shout of victory, nor the noise of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. So it was as soon as he came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot, and he cast the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. Then he took the calf which they had made and burned it in the fire and ground it into powder. And he scattered it on the water and made the children of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, who's the first person he's going to address, come over here, older brother. What did this people do to you that you have brought, that you have brought? So great a sin upon them. Who was left in charge? Aaron. So it's his responsibility. Now the others, they'd have their blame too. But he might have stopped it at the very beginning. And he didn't have the courage to do it. So Aaron said, do not let the anger of my Lord, small l, meaning Moses, brother, don't let your anger become hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods that shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Now, that's an interesting verse because there's something added here, right? Because initially is, make us an image of God who brought us out of the land of Egypt. But now Aaron says they told him to make gods plural, as if there were going to be more. That's polytheism. Verse 24. And I said to them, whoever has any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me, and I cast it into the fire, and this calf came out. 
Now, of course, we know he worked hard on engraving it, right? On getting it, we don't know how pretty it was, but you know, it was recognizable as a calf. Moses does not react to that statement. He probably shook his head a lot. Now, when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained them, Aaron hadn't done his job. He let down Moses, and he let down God, and he let down the Israelites. That's a lot of guilt. That's a big sin. Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among their enemies. Then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. All the descendants of Levi. Who does that include? Aaron. He doesn't stand with the people against Moses. He humbles himself under Moses' authority. And he comes over to Moses' side. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let every man put his sword on his side and go in and out from the entrance to entrance throughout the camp. And let every man kill his brother, every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Then Moses said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord, that he may bestow on you a blessing this day. For every man has opposed his son and his brother. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses said to the people, You have committed a great sin. So now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made themselves a god of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, if you will, forgive their sin. But if not, I pray, blot me out of your book which you have written. Now, we don't know all that Moses understood about the book of life about what eternal life meant. But it seems he did. He offers his life for the nation. Take my eternal life for me if it will mean saving this people. And the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. See, there's no human being who can take the responsibility for the sins of other human beings. Only God's Son could do that because he was God too. Moses wasn't the one who could fulfill that role. He had an important role, but not that one. Now you would think that Aaron would have learned a valuable lesson here. Yet, in a moment of stress and uncertainty, he failed to obey God and help the Israelites in committing a great sin. Now, would he do a similar mistake? Let's go to Numbers 12. Numbers 12. See, though Aaron got a refresher in understanding how important it was to obey God, He still needed a refresher in submitting to the authority that God had placed in his brother Moses. And here's where that little thing in the back of his mind may have kicked in. That resentment about my younger brother bossing me around. Numbers 12, verse 1. And then the other sibling, Miriam, is the oldest of all three. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. Now one wonders, to whom were they speaking? Were they speaking against Moses to his face or behind his back? 
Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. Now, we don't know if this was something that was done there in the wilderness, right, if his wife had died and he'd remarried, or if this is referring to some event that happened back when he was in the service of the Pharaoh of Egypt. We we aren't told any additional details about this. But Miriam and Aaron had concluded that it was not something he should have done. So they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? Now, technically, they, God had. Miriam was a prophetess. And God spoke through Moses, through Aaron, to Pharaoh and to the people. So they had been granted that role, but only under the authority of Moses, not apart from Moses. And here they're saying, shouldn't we all be equal? And the Lord heard it. Uh Uh-oh. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth, right? He he wasn't interested in directly confronting his older sister and older brother over this, really, an insult, a challenge to the authority that God had given him. Now, deep down inside, Miriam and Aaron probably did resent the authority of their brother. Verse 4, suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting. Right? It's going to be a family meeting. So the three came out, called onto the carpet. Then the Lord came down in the pillar of cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle, right? This wasn't a Zoom meeting. (laughs) This was face-to-face, although his face was concealed in the cloud. The Lord came down in the pillar of cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both went forward. Then he said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses, for he is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly and not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So the anger of the Lord was aroused against them, and he departed. And when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous, as white as snow. And Aaron turned toward Miriam, and there she was, a leper. Now I find it also interesting, Miriam was the one that was given leprosy, not Aaron. Now, this is pure speculation, but I wonder if maybe the whole thing wasn't her idea and Aaron went along with it. Shouldn't we all be equal with Moses? She was the oldest sibling. So Aaron said to Moses, right, he's going to intervene on behalf of his sister. Aaron said to Moses, oh, my Lord, small l, meaning Moses, dear brother, You are my Lord, right? I recognize your authority over me. Please do not lay this sin on us, in which we have done foolishly and in which we have sinned. Please do not let her be as one dead, whose flesh is half consumed when he comes out of his mother's womb. So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, Please heal her, O God, I pray. Then the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, would she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut out of the camp seven days, and afterward she may be received again. So Miriam was shut out of the camp seven days, and the people did not journey till Miriam was brought in again. 
Now, Aaron recognizes, again, he has sinned. And he goes over to Moses and is repentant. Now, finally for today, Aaron is involved in another blunder. This time after Miriam had died. And this mistake would prevent both Moses and Aaron from entering the promised land. Let's go to Numbers 20. Numbers 20. Here we see both Moses and Aaron are allowing their personal emotions, in this case, anger, to cloud their judgment in correctly following God's instructions. When leaders and authority mess up, they do it big time. Numbers 20 in verse 1. And the children of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month. And the people stayed in Kadesh. And Miriam died there and was buried there. Now, before we go on, I'd like you to think about that. Their sister has just died. They're probably distraught. They're upset. And now, in their grief, what happens? Here come those complaining people again. Now there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and Aaron, both of them, leaders of the congregation. And the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. Why have you brought up the assembly of the Lord into the wilderness that we and our animals should die here? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates. This is the promised land you told us about. Nor is there any water to drink. We're thirsty. So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and they fell on their faces. They bowed to the earth before the Lord, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together. Speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock, and give drink to the congregation and their animals. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. So Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels, must we bring water for you out of this rock? He doesn't say, must I do it? Must we do it? Who's up there? Moses and Aaron, a team. Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation and their animals drank. Notice he had to hit it twice. Now, it should have worked the first time, but they didn't do it the right way. Why did it work the second time? Everybody was watching God's servants. And God had promised to take care of his people. He allowed the water to come out for that purpose. But he was going to have a grievance against Moses and Aaron. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron. Right? Typically we think, oh, this was Moses. who Moses struck the rock. They were both involved. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Right? Moses and Aaron didn't say, God is giving you this water. Must we do it? See, they were seeking to elevate themselves to the level of God. 
They needed a refresher. Because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. To whom is he addressing this? Moses and Aaron, the saint of the Lord. Neither of them would be able to see the promised land, at least to go there. Verse 13, this was the water of Meribah, because the children of Israel contended with the Lord, and he was hallowed among them. So as we see here under lesson two, sometimes God's saints fall short of their calling, requiring them to repent and to recommit to serving God properly, which we'll see Moses and Aaron do after this incident. That was the case for Moses and also the case for his brother Aaron. And that's also the case for us as fellow saints of the Lord God. So in my next scheduled sermon, we'll continue uh, into the second half of this message, and we'll look at points, lessons three and four, at the life of Aaron, the saint of the Lord, and two additional lessons that we can draw from his life and experiences.